0: Hello, Forge listeners and viewers on YouTube. Just wanted to say thank you again for your patience. Uh, It's been a while since I've dropped a new episode exclusively for Forge. I have dropped a couple of episodes, I think three altogether now, of me preaching in another environment uh, outside of Forge. Um, But this one is going to be heading back to our original format of verse-by-verse coverage through the entire Bible. And we're going to be starting today in Galatians, the book of Galatians. We're going to start with chapter one. We're going to take the first five verses. And I've been drawn to the book of Galatians because, as I shared in my last episode, I have uh, had the opportunity to become the pastor at Green Meadow Community Church in Helena, Montana, and it's um, an amazing opportunity. I'm excited about what God is going to do in our church uh, in and through not only me, but each of the members that have been faithfully attending that church long before I got there. And I wanted to get into the book of Galatians because I believe that it's full of instruction for God's church. And I believe it's a great place to start, um, especially if you're uh, coming into a church brand new like I am, the new pastor. And even though I originally gave this message to uh, As uh, my very first uh, sermon officially as the pastor of Green Meadow Community, I uh, thought that it would be a great idea to share my thoughts with the Forge audience who may not be uh, going to Green Meadow Community. Because I think there's obviously relevant things in here. So I want you to ponder as we go through this specifically what God has called you to do and what God has called your church to do. Hopefully you are attending church. You are a Christian. And God is working through your local representation of his body wherever you are attending. And I want to challenge you to read the book of Galatians at least once a week from now until the time that I complete my survey through this wonderful book, um, you're going to find instructions here. Uh, And even though it's not one of the four Gospels, you can certainly find the Gospel message here, or at least the assumption that uh, you already know the Gospel message. So now let us read from the Word of God. The word of God from Galatians chapter one, verses one through five. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who were with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the first thing I want to talk about here in this survey and this really this introduction to the book of Galatians, I want us to focus on at first the messenger of Christ, the messenger of Christ. You know, as we look at these opening verses, we see what's been called a Pauline greeting. And that's just fancy for saying this is the way Paul opens his letters. And it was the custom in ancient times uh, that the letter starts off telling you who it's from. Whereas in today's world, if you're doing email or a card or a letter, you sign your name at the ending of the letter. But the ancients let you know right up front who is doing the writing. And I want to call your attention to this word, apostle. Paul says that he is an apostle. And simply stated an apostle is someone who is a messenger. A messenger who is sent. But I want to add something here, which I think is very important. As you read your New Testament you're going to find that those apostles of the apostolic era of the church held this particular office. There was an office of apostle. And I believe the scriptures are very clear on the requirements for holding this office. Very quickly, I'm going to go through these, and you you can certainly go back on your own time and and read these for yourself. But Acts chapter 1, verse 2, it states very plainly that apostles were chosen by Christ, and we believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and chosen by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. First Timothy one one and two seven shows us that Paul received his apostleship by the direct command of Jesus Christ. In Revelation twenty one fourteen, this is an important verse because it indicates that there are twelve apostles of the Lamb. And scripturally, I believe that there's a limit to the number of apostles. And when I'm using this word apostle, I'm talking about those who hold this office, an office within the church that I also believe died out as each of the apostles died off. In other words, I don't believe this office, and I'm stressing the word office, I do not believe this office is still uh, in the church today. Acts 4.33 and 1 Corinthians nine one it tells us that an apostle had to be someone who had personally seen the risen Lord. Acts 5.12 and 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, it lets us know that there were signs of apostleship, which included the working of miracles. And if you've been listening to this podcast for very long, you've probably heard me talk about signs and wonders and miracles and I just want you to know that you finding a special parking place at Walmart in the parking lot, or you going to the front of the line, or you ask God for a sign and you're out for a walk one day and a leaf falls down out of a tree and, and hits you in the face or it lands on the sidewalk right in front of, front of you. These things are not miracles, okay? They are not miracles, A miracle is, by definition, something that happens that is out of the natural. That's why we call it supernatural or it's out of the ordinary. It's extraordinary. And I bring this out because there are folks going around uh, spreading false teachings about miracles and signs and wonders. And it's simply not true. Do your own research and you're going to find that what has been passed off as a miracle, in most cases, it's not true. It's false. They're false teachers. They're false teachings. I will give you an example of what a true miracle is. A true miracle, there are things that we see in the Bible where Jesus, for example, lays his hands on a man who has been blinded from birth. And the natural state of that man is he would remain blind unless there was a true miracle from the living God. So what happens? Jesus lays his hands on this man and Jesus gives him sight. And for the first time in his life, this man is able to see. Same thing could be said for the lame man. Where the apostles, those who are operating in the office of this apostleship. They say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And a man who has basically uh, been crippled from birth. Something is wrong with his muscles or the, the tendons or the bones. You know, the Bible doesn't really say, but miraculously... These things are rebuilt, reformed, whatever. There are there is strength placed into those legs that was not there. Again, being supernaturally done, and the lame man jumps to his feet and he he begins walking and leaping and praising God, as the scriptures tell us. So I bring this to your attention because there are false teachers, as I've said false teachings, and they would have you believe that the office of apostle is still in operation today. And there are those who've given themselves this title. They call themselves an apostle. And I just want to submit for your consideration that according to the passages of scripture that I just gave you, this office is no longer in the church today. And there are those who attempt to dance around this clear teaching of the scriptures. And they'll say things like, well, the office of apostle is no longer valid. But the gifting or the spirit or the attitude of the office of the apostle is still in operation in the church today. And that makes me ask the question, well, what's the difference? (laughs) You're playing word games. So if someone has not personally seen the risen Lord. If they are not chosen by Christ himself in the flesh and if they cannot work miracles, they are not operating in the office of apostle, according to the Bible. Why do I make that distinction? I make that distinction because I am not an apostle with a capital letter A, meaning the office. However, I have been sent. And dear Christian, if you're listening to this you have been sent also and in this sense we can say that you are an apostle with a little a you don't have the office but you have been sent and you do have a message christian and i've shared Uh, At times in the past, portions of my story on this podcast, I'm not going to go through my whole entire story here on this particular episode. But there are things that occurred in my life on my spiritual journey that have reaffirmed to me that I have been called by God to give a message And at times, honestly, I've not been treated fairly. I've had people say things about me that were not true. Maybe I've misspoke or been misunderstood. I spoke very clearly, but um, what I said was taken out of context or misunderstood. I've had some tough times along this journey, and maybe you have too. Maybe you've been through a lot also. But Christian you have an obligation to stay the course and you um the fact that you are a christian proves that you have responded to a call when he called you to himself and he saved you so i want to encourage you don't give up you belong in this mission as much as i do you have been called as much as i was called now maybe you were called to be a pastor Maybe you weren't called to start a podcast, but you are called to interact with those that you come in contact with daily in life, work, play, family, friends, uh, even strangers at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And this brings me to my next sub point, and that is that God does the calling. Men do not call, God calls. Now the Lord has given us godly men and elders that would affirm that blessing and that calling upon your life if you are called into ministry. But God's the one who does the calling. And I want you to look again at the first two verses of our text where it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me. You see, Paul was called, but he brings greetings to the churches in Galatia from brothers who are with him. And I would just point out here that Paul's not alone in his work. He's got helpers. And maybe that's your job. Maybe your job is to be a helper. Okay, maybe you're not the pastor of a church, but there's something that you can do. There's plenty of things to be done in and around and through the church, in and around in your uh, community um you could make a meal for someone who maybe they're shut in and they can't uh make a meal for themselves and you could just go be a good neighbor and let them know you're doing this in the name of the Lord you're not doing this just because you're a neighbor but you're doing this for the cause of Christ i mean sinners can do nice things for people right they can make a meal for their neighbor or they could do yard work for their neighbor Or just check in and and make sure everything is okay. Sinners do that. You need to do that in the name of Jesus. And you need to remember that you're not in this alone. Get plugged in if you're not already plugged into a Bible-believing church who actively does things to reach out to the community. And as I stated, I'm not an apostle with a capital A That is, I don't hold that New Testament office, nor do I claim to. But I do believe that God has a message for his people. And God has put that message deep in my heart. And as I've already said, if you're listening to this and you are a Christian, guess what? You are a messenger too. And that message is one of grace and peace. And it's a message exclusively for the Lord's church. And I can say it with confidence because as we look at our text, the latter part of verse two, we find to whom this letter of, a, of Galatians is addressed. Who's it addressed to? The churches of Galatia. But I also believe that it's addressed to every church around the world. Every local representation of the body of Christ. It is, after all, the word of God. And this is so important to our context. Don't take verses that were clearly addressed to the Lord's church and try to apply them to people and situations that are not either of the Lord's church or in the Lord's church. Keep the verses in context. And this is one reason why I go verse by verse. Verse by verse teaches you and it forces you to stay in the context of scripture. So there are words here that are exclusively for, and this is the second point I want to bring out, the church of Christ. I don't mean that group of people that meet and they call themselves the church of Christ. But I believe when I say the church of Christ, I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ universal. The Catholic Church, if you will, with a small letter C, meaning universal, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is all over the world. And as a member of a confessional church, and when I say confessional, I also mean uh, that we believe in the new covenant. We believe that Jesus was a hundred percent successful in his mission. He wasn't partially successful. He didn't make salvation available for people. So what exactly was his mission? Well, Matthew one verses 18 through 21 tells us this says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. She will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Who does he save? He saves his people. Now you're listening to this and you might think, well, wait a second. I thought that was for the Jews. When it says his people, he's talking about the nation of Israel. Well, friends, I want you to notice something. And as we work our way through Galatians, we're going to come to this. But I want to bring this up here because it's relevant. When we think about Jesus and we think about his people and when it says that he's going to save his people. Galatians 3.29 says, if you are Christ's then you are abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise and so we see here friends that it is the um receiving of christ that makes you part of abraham's seed no longer is it about a bloodline but it is about um the spiritual condition of your heart it's about what you are going to do with Jesus Christ. And God's word tells us in Ephesians chapter one, verses four through six, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved and friends, these things that I'm teaching here and these things that I'm pointing out to you in scripture, I'm telling you it makes people angry. I know that it makes them angry because they've been angry at me and I'm not teaching something here that is cultish or something that is against scripture. In fact, I would submit for your consideration that if you are resisting these words, it's because you're holding on to a tradition that tells you that you actually have something to do with your salvation. That you actually chose of your own free will to follow Jesus. But I'm going to point out to you time after time after time, page after page in the scriptures. It's almost on every page of the Bible, I would dare say. God is the one who has chosen a people for himself. In fact, these verses, along with what we've read in our text today, show us that God's church was in the mind of God from the ancient, ageless, infinity past. It shows us the clear decree of God concerning the salvation of his chosen people. And this is important, and I want to challenge you, if you're resisting this. I want to challenge you to go into the New Testament and find one place where an apostle or a disciple or any of those who followed Christ did so because they asked Jesus into their heart. Ooh, I just I just touched a sacred sacred cow to some people, I think. What do you mean? All I'm trying to point out to you is that not one of them came to Christ, because they granted Christ permission, not one Christ called and they dropped what they were doing and they followed him. And that friends is a work of the spirit of the living God. Jesus tells us that not one person will come to him, except the father draws them. And he adds that all those who call on his name will be saved. So we find that the church of Christ is actually made up of those who experience grace and peace. And Paul's about to give some instructions here in the book of Galatians. He's going to be talking to the church in Galatia or the churches, I should say, plural. But he does so in a way where he's going to be scolding them a little bit. You might say he's going to get on to him. But as we get into the book, we're going to see that Paul, and he, he even does it right here in these first five verses, that he does not withhold his wish for their grace and their peace. And as you study the New Testament, you're going to find anywhere that Paul is about to find fault with the churches to whom he's writing. He always includes this greeting He will say grace to you, peace to you. And sometimes he adds mercy into that as well. But my point here is grace and peace. And I want to point out something here about the words grace and peace. And I want to do this along with the use of the prepositions and the word order that we find here. There's an idea in the Greek language, and sometimes it can be missed in our English Bibles. And I just want to point it out. I want us to remember the point that I'm bringing out here when I get to the conclusion of this episode. In verse 1 of our text, we read that Paul's calling came through, that is, through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Then in verse 3, it says that grace and peace are from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to notice that not only are these prepositions different through and from, but that the order of the persons of the Godhead are changed. Verse 1 has Jesus Christ first, and then verse 3 has God the Father first. Now, why did Paul write it? This way. Well, he wrote it this way because it shows in the mind of Paul that Jesus is God. While the Father and the Son are distinct persons, they are both God. God is one in being, three in persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here's why this is important as it pertains to grace and peace. You see, Jesus is not merely an instrument or a tool used by God the Father to give us grace. Jesus himself, being God, is the one who gives grace to his people, and he gives grace and peace as much as and along with God the Father. I want you to notice that in verse 3, Jesus Christ is also given that additional title of Lord. Lord, and this is significant because in the very next verse, Paul tells us, that the Lord gave himself for us. The Lord gave himself for his church. Why do I say us means church? Because he is addressing the church in Galatia. So when he says to the churches in Galatia, you can't take that out and say, well, to the whole planet or to the whole world. Because that's not what it says. And in like manner, when it says that he gave himself for us, you have to find out, well, who is the us? Is the us in this sentence or in this phrase, is it the whole world? Or is it the church? Well, if you're consistent and if you stick with the context, the context defines it. The Lord gave himself for us. He gave himself for his church. He gave himself for, in this case to get very uh, strict with it, the churches in Galatia. So you may remember, um, I did give a sermon where I referenced Acts chapter two and it's, um, on the, uh, episode it's on the podcast, excuse me, on the forge podcast. I'm not sure which episode it is, but I, uh, was recorded, um, in a church in Green Meadow Church. And this was a sermon that I gave there before I was their pastor. And in Acts chapter two, uh, Peter states in verse 36, he says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, dear ones, Jesus Lordship is attached to his atonement for his people. So when it tells us here in our text that we have this additional title of Lord, it shouldn't surprise us that in the very next verse that Paul is pointing out that the Lord gave himself for his church. Just as Peter states, you crucified him, but he is both Lord and Christ. So Scripture tells us in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, and you may already know this, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, what is he? Lord, Lord to the glory of God the Father. What am I pointing out here? I'm telling you that only the Lord, the one to whom all authority has been given, the one who has a name that is above every name, only he could atone for his people. And as people are those who are forgiven of their sins. Do you want this peace? Come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Do you want to be a member of his church? Come to Christ for the the forgiveness of sins. In 1 John, we're told that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And because of this cleansing, we are, as it tells us here in this, Text, we are those delivered from this present evil age. Friends, I'm not blind. I'm not deaf. I know what's going on in our world, and it seems to be completely overrun with evil. But I would point out that we're not promised that we would not see evil in our time. But we are promised that our God, because of that new covenant, He will deliver us from it. In fact, the word used here in verse four, where it says that he will deliver us, it means that he will tear us away from that evil power. Tear us away. Now, that does not mean that we aren't going to pay a price. It doesn't mean that we might not have to go through some tough times. In fact, I personally believe that. There are some dark times coming for the church in the West. And for those of you who want to disagree with me, that's okay. I would encourage you to look at Canada, of all places. Canada, who also had uh, laws based um, in a biblical worldview. They are part of Western culture. And it is Canada who has made so-called conversion therapy against the law what does this mean well it means that technically legally if someone comes to a pastor in a church in canada and they begin to talk about same-sex attraction or any other kind of perversion that if that pastor seeks to tell them the truth of god's word and seeks to love and care for them in a biblical way that they might repent and turn from their sins and believe the gospel. This could be interpreted as conversion therapy. If they are referred to a Christian psychiatrist or psychologist who desires them to follow God's design for their body and for their sexuality, this too could be persecuted or I should say prosecuted under Canadian law. So what am I saying? I'm saying that being delivered from the present evil age doesn't mean that you're not going to do prison time. It doesn't mean that the government might not come in and want to take your children from you. It doesn't mean that uh, we don't have some dark times coming. I don't know when I'm not a date setter and I could be completely wrong about this, but I don't think that I am. It doesn't make sense to me that the Lord's church would be persecuted the world over, that our brothers and sisters in China and in Muslim controlled countries and other places around the world, they are uh, put in prison. They are mistreated horribly, tortured, you name it. It has happened to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. And we think because we're Americans or because we're in the West, for some reason, it's not going to happen here. I just don't believe that that's the way it's going to go down. But as Christians, we are delivered in two ways. Number one, we as Christians are free From the moral corruption of this world. What does that mean? Simply put, we behave correctly. Not because we've got the willpower to do it, but because Christ lives in us. Secondly, we are free from the coming destruction which our Lord will bring at the day of judgment. One of the reasons I think that we are in such a dark time as a nation as a culture is because there seems to be absent from the presence of the human mind that there is a hereafter there will be a day of reckoning life does go on after this physical body physically dies you will either glorify god in your salvation and glorification To the praise of his glory and grace. As the scripture tells us right here in our own text. Or you will glorify God in your destruction. As you receive the full wrath. And eternal torment and judgment. From a righteous, just, holy God and judge of the universe. Who has the total right to carry out judgment so you will glorify him either in your salvation or either in your destruction for Christians knowing that we are free from moral corruption and we are free from the coming destruction that's coming when the Lord brings it on that day of judgment friends this is true salvation And it is done for the praise of his glorious grace. It's done by the will of God. So I'd like for you to consider Christ. He is the eternal son, the second person of the Godhead who became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the one who calls. The call comes through or because of Christ. He is the one who gives grace and peace. Indeed, the forgiveness of sins comes through his giving of himself. And as our text tells us in these last two verses, the will of the father was fulfilled in the son and all glory to God be forevermore. Consider what God's calling you to do. What has he called you to do personally? What has he called your church to do? I want to encourage you to reach out to your neighbors, make friends with people, love them, Bring them the message of our Lord's glorious gospel wherever you may go. And let your church, your local representation of the body of Christ, wherever it is that you are attending, let it be known as a place that would extend grace and peace. And that does not mean that we approve of sinful actions and behavior. No, it's because of grace, it's because of love, it's because of peace and mercy that we reach out to them and we tell them the truth. With that said, thank you again for listening. God bless you. And I sincerely hope and pray that this podcast and these episodes are useful to you as we continue to dig into the book of Galatians. Thank you so much, and I will catch you the next time.
1: I have You may call me Christy You may call me K-a. You may call me Kay You may call me anything But no matter what you say You know you're gonna have
2: to